0: Welcome back to Minadopt's podcast, Let's Talk. My name is Kelly Hegel, and I am one of the help specialists here at Minadopt. Today, I will be talking with Amy Summers. Amy is a therapist in private practice, working mostly with children and teens, many of whom are adopted. She has extensive training and therapeutic approaches that support healing of the nervous system after attachment disruptions and other experiences of trauma. One of these approaches is sensory motor arousal regulation treatment, or SMART, where sensory equipment and tools are used by children in a way that helps them find greater regulation, safely process trauma, and build attachment with caregivers. Here at MinAdopt on July 23rd, she will be hosting a webinar about how parents can integrate SMART methods at home to support their children. Please tune in for that This webinar will also be recorded so that you can listen in if you can't attend on that date. Amy can also be found offering family support on Instagram at amy.summers.therapy. Welcome Amy, we're really glad to have you here today. Hi Kelly, thanks
1: so much for the invitation. I'm excited to be able to do this.
0: We are too. Um, I'm wondering if you could spend a few minutes talking about co-regulation and sensory input and hopefully to define what co-regulation is for our listeners. That would be really great. Many of our listeners know and understand that term, but we may have some people that also don't. So if you could spend a few minutes, that would be really great. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So co-regulation
1: really starts from the time a baby is born. And what happens is an infant's nervous system doesn't actually have the ability to calm itself or to quote unquote self-soothe. And so a baby borrows calm and, and okayness from the caregiver who's there to offer that to them. And so what happens is a baby starts to cry and then they hopefully have the experience of a caregiver picking the baby up and, you know, rocking the baby and, you know, making certain reassuring sounds and things like that. And what happens um, is through that interaction, the baby's system calms. And so the there's this repeated experience of activation, upset, followed by comfort and a coming
0: back down into calm and okayness. That's great, thank you. That was a really great definition. Um, we had been talking last week a little bit about um, what an ideal regulation sensory experience might be for an infant. We have many of our families that are parenting children may not have had that. And so if we could define that a little bit for our listeners, I think that could be really helpful.
1: Yeah, and when we think about our senses, there are five senses that most of us are familiar with, you know, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, in the you know, world of understanding the nervous system and sensory inputs, there are two others that we talk about, one of those as vestibular input, and that is an inner ear input. So you can think about that as when a baby is being rocked, it's receiving, the baby's receiving a sensory input that ends up being soothing for that baby's nervous system. Jumping on a trampoline, also vestibular input, anything that, when our head kind of turns to the sides or front and back. And then the other one is proprioceptive input. This is an input that is like a deep pressure input. It's something experienced by our muscles and our joints. And the one that comes to mind thinking about infants would be infants uh, being swaddled. So having kind of that like really, comforting experience of being contained and that can feel really calming and safe for an infant in an ideal scenario those are going to be two inputs that an infant is regularly receiving and are kind of natural pathways then to greater regulation and to
0: feeling calm after upset thank you um that sounds a little bit like a bonding attachment cycle is that what you're talking about yeah for sure
1: because when an infant has this experience of being attended to and then receiving these soothing inputs there's this learning that happens that isn't cognitive learning it's not like thought learning but it's body learning and the, the body learning is that my needs will be met that I can get upset and come back to a place of calm, that I can count on others to support me in moments when I'm having a hard time, and even the knowing that I matter just because I exist.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that sense of safety. That's right,
1: yeah, and and a felt felt sense of safety, right? Like a body experience of safety versus a thought of I am safe. Right, right.
0: So what might some of our caregivers, see in their children who didn't get this ideal sensory experience, who didn't experience the swaddling or the rocking, and then they may not have even, they may not have experienced that, but then they may have also experienced the opposite, right? It, the That felt sense of safety didn't exist for them in their body because there was trauma going on in the home or in the environment. Um, what what kind of behaviors and and Um, things that caregivers might see.
1: Yep and so that that is a a super common one um, in you know in the family that I'm working with as well and sort of the the way that tends to look is that kids will appear to be stuck in a heightened state so we talk about the nervous system as fight flight and freeze so kids will either kind of be very um, easily upset and it might get called oppositional or they might um, be very anxious so sort of their their nervous system kind of hangs out in a place of anger worry anxiety because they didn't have the experience of i i come up and i come back down they're sort of stuck on this up it can also look like shutdown and not being available for social engagement or connection and that happens because the system gets so overwhelmed and nobody comes to help me, and so therefore the next best thing I can do is shut down. And that's a really common nervous system response, survival response, especially for children who experienced neglect and things in their infancy because a baby only has so many options for trying to elicit being attended to and cared for. It can also look like kids attempting to find a way to to regulate themselves, but it might not be in a way that's super helpful or healthy. It's their best they can do. It's an adaptation, but it might even be harmful, like um, head banging, rocking themselves, actually deny or refusing support from the adult in their environment, or um, seeking support and then when it's offered having some kind of reaction to that so those are all different ways that that can
0: show up so this is really uh, when we talk to families um, educating them about body memory right and that, that mm-hmm. trauma lives in our body and so mm-hmm. when kids are maybe seeking support and then they're pushing caregivers away this is a body memory for them so they may not necessarily be doing that from a thinking standpoint this is really just how their bodies are going around in the world. Is that yeah. is that correct? Absolutely. What they there was there were ways of being
1: in their earlier days that were required in order for them to survive. So everything that we see then in the present moment is an adaptation to early experiences that might not be serving them anymore in a lot of ways, but it's the learning that their nervous system has acquired. The really helpful And exciting thing is everything we've learned in recent years about neuroplasticity and conditioning and how we can support kids and even adults and ourselves in various ways to learn something new we can relearn old things and our our brain can create new neural pathways with new possibilities so the way it is in this moment doesn't have to be the way it is moving forward necessarily.
0: Yeah, those new neural pathways, sometimes I talk to families and describe it as um, if they were going for a walk in the woods. And that neural pathway that's worn is a path in the woods that, that somebody has mowed or, or plowed. And it's pretty easy to get there. So kids that have those experiences, it's super easy to get into that aggression or that anxiety because that pathway is so well-worn. And then I talk with the caregivers about creating that new pathway is like going through the woods and having to go on a path that's not plowed or not mowed. And you're having to kind of break branches and move things out of the way. And so it sounds like that's going to take some time and a lot of practice to create a new pathway in the brain. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is correct. That's a great way of describing it. It's going to take repeated experience and experience over time for that new neural pathway to be the the new like default mode. It's like creating a new default mode. And we also don't have to get it right with our kids 100% of the time for that new neural pathway to be paved. It seems like if we can get it a little bit closer to this new way of being even sixty to seventy percent of the time that's enough to start creating
0: a new pathway I really like that you mentioned that um, that that caregivers don't have to get it right hundred percent of the time, right just good enough right just close enough that's that's really um important I think for for caregivers to hear um, Can you talk a little bit about smart, the sensory motor um arousal regulation technique, and how can can some of these techniques be useful for parents or caregivers um, to help soothe um, the sensory system of their kiddos and also create a greater um, attachment and regulation?
1: Yeah, so as we are understanding more about the nervous system and how early experiences impact later, later functioning, what we're aware of is that especially in like the in infancy and the first maybe year of life and actually second trimester of pregnancy all of our experiences are sensory experiences we're not having thoughts about things so even our experience of our caregiver it's the experience of being lifted up in a certain way rocked in a certain way the sound of a certain voice a certain smell so all of that is in the sensory system and that that wiring and those parts of the brain are not in our, you know, upstairs brain. We'll sometimes hear it talked about as upstairs brain, downstairs brain and upstairs brain is where like learning and logic and thought happen. But all of our early experiences of coming into some kind of regulation happen through the sensory system. That's all downstairs brain. And so in my office, it looks kind of like an occupational therapist office. There are swings, There's a little trampoline, there's um, weighted things to help give that, like, proprioceptive input. And the intention there is for kids to come in and through experimentation or what they're curious about, finding what does help bring their body into greater regulation, a greater felt sense of safety and present moment awareness and okayness. And then through that attachment building can happen because parents can be a part of that or caregivers, they can support that in session. We can learn something about a child like, oh, this certain thing feels really good for them. How can we adapt that for at home? And then when the caregiver supports the child in that, that's attachment building. And so some of the things that can be helpful for at home are some of the things that um, that seem to feel good for a lot of kids one example would be kids who really like that that deep pressure which honestly feels good for most kids proprioceptive inputs a pretty safe one as far as you're likely going to get to a place of calm from that Um, one example of how we bring that into the home would be like if you have couch cushions that you can remove having the kiddo lay on the ground and and putting the cushions on them and putting applying pressure as much pressure as they want and so they're leading the whole thing and you're attuning to what they need and then their body starts to feel more calm. And that is the attachment building piece. So that's one example.
0: What are some questions that caregivers could ask um, a kiddo when they're doing that, that type of pressure to, to find out what feels good for the kiddo? How will they know? So the first, some of the
1: first indications that proprioceptive input might be what could feel good for your child are kids who just seem a little bit uncomfortable in their skin. They might like do a lot of bumping into caregivers or like squirming on your lap or running into things in the environment without seeming to notice. And so the first thing you can do is just offer, oh, I wonder if, you can make it a game. Like I wonder if, uh, um, I'm gonna use my kiddo's name. I wonder if an Everett sandwich would feel good right now. And then if he says yes, then he lays down on the ground and I put the bread, which is the couch cushion on top of him. And then I, you know, I might ask like, where would you like it over your tummy or your legs? And then he decides, and then how's this amount of pressure? Do you want more pressure or less pressure? So they're really guiding the whole process. Sometimes it starts with the parent receiving the input first and the child putting the couch cushion on the parent's body, if that feels good for the parent, and then inviting the child into it. Um, it, Kids who who don't just kind of naturally come back to a place of calm a lot of the time, feeling calm can actually be a little uncomfortable for them because it's not what they're used to. So this might be one minute of an interaction before they actually pop back up and just continue on but it still is a one minute of their system getting to come down a little bit before it comes back up. So
0: it's still very valuable. Those are great examples. Um, That was an example, you know, um, that I think a lot of our caregivers could try at home. Do you have an example sort of of that vestibular um, sensory experience that caregivers could try Um, and then they can tune in in July and get a whole host of other things. But if you could talk, Give a specific example for that, that'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah, and kids, you know, kids do these kinds of things all the time. So these might be things your kid already likes or you see them doing. Swings, so being on a swing, kids love that. Um, Just any kind of rocking. So some children, even older children, will like to sit on a rocking chair with a caregiver, or just having a rocking chair out in the living room, for example, where the child might just go to it and do that on their own. Um, Another example would be kids who like to have, go between two adults and have them swing them. So you hold them, you know, one adult under the armpits and the other has maybe the ankles and you're swinging them back and forth. Spinning is another one, sitting on a chair and spinning around. The one thing I will say about spinning is it's kind of easy to overdo that one. And so I usually invite caregivers to maybe allow for a child to, do like 10 rotations and then pause and let, their, let things kind of come back to looking normal and then do 10 rotations in the other direction. That's sort of a way to help it be a helpful input versus like overdoing it.
0: Those are great examples. Thank you so much. So if you are interested in learning more, like I said, you can tune into um, to Amy's webinar in July. You can also go to www.minadopt.org and take a look at our education section as well as our help program section if you want to learn more about um, what we do and uh, connect to other resources. I just wanna thank you, Amy, so much for being here today. It was delightful talking to you and we really look forward to learning more about um, the SMART technique. Thanks for having me,
1: Kelly. You bet, take care.